Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Meet Vita Stapler, director of the Omaha Nation Language and Cultural Center in Macy, Nebraska. I'm absolutely thrilled about our new outdoor classroom. That's a real opportunity for our young ones. Just being able to teach about all the things that surround us, our water, our land, how to protect it, how to become stewards of our lands. These are all important, important things that we need to teach our children. See more of the story at ilovps.org. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with MyBookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining me again this week and apologies for no show last week. We ran into a few technical and scheduling difficulties last week so I couldn't get a show out to you guys but I'm back this week and I'm glad I am because the upcoming episode is going to be a good one and I say that because it's going to be somewhat different, not too different but but let me explain. So by now, You all know the drill. It's generally me on here hosting the show and speaking to a range of personalities across media, podcasting, the blogging world, even the Twitter sphere, those of whom who typically have some sort of obvious connection to our Chicago Bulls. And in most examples, the people that I speak to often reside in Chicago or somewhere within the United States. But whilst I've become pretty accustomed at this point to speaking to folks based in the States. And while I love my guests who jump on from the US to to talk NBA and to talk Bulls with a guy all the way down here in Australia, it's not often I get a chance to actually talk hoops with a fellow Australian here on the podcast. So today, instead of listening to one Australian talking basketball, I'm pleased to say you'll be hearing two. So with that in mind, let's welcome in my guest for today. He's the co-host of the Eurostep podcast, our resident Milwaukee Bucks podcast on the Blue White Network, but he also covers the Bucks and Australian basketball for a range of platforms, including ESPN Australia. He's Kane Pittman, and he's here to talk all things Eastern Conference with me. Kane, thanks for jumping on the show, mate. How's things? 
It's been pretty good. It's been good. I've been back in Australia for a few weeks now and uh, been pretty busy with the national team stuff and the Team USA stuff the last couple of weeks. So it's uh, the only problem I have is uh, coming back to winter, I guess. I feel like I've been in winter for the last two years straight now. <laughs> that is true, but I'm, I'm guessing our winter is significantly different <laughs> to a Milwaukee winter. Yes, that's, that is definitely true. A, a hoodie is enough over here compared to uh, however many jackets you wear in Milwaukee. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was I was looking into maybe heading over to Chicago for a few weeks next year, and I was thinking March because I was I was thinking that would be out of the winter. But then when I was doing some um some background checks on how how hot or cold it is, and their March I think on record is colder than our typical winter. So I was like, uh, I I don't even know. So I have no idea how you did Milwaukee in like December, January, or whatever it was. So that that's pretty intense. Yeah, I guess uh, after a while, you're just like, this is what it is. It's going to be snowing, <laughs> it's going to be cold, it's going to be painful, and we we all made it. We made it through. Yeah, fair enough, mate. But uh, look, I, was, I wanted to get you on the show, one, to, to just just to have a chance to speak to another Australian about basketball. I don't get that chance often, but uh, and in the intro as well, I, I was going to do an elaborate intro about who you are, your story, what you did last season. You obviously just mentioned being in Milwaukee just then, but... I probably wouldn't be able to do it justice. So I thought we could open up with just giving the Bulls listeners here on Bulls HQ a bit of a, an overview of who you are. Obviously, you cover the Bucks. You're an Aussie. We've established that thus far. But uh, yeah, just give us an insight into who you are and, and your story because I think it's uh, it was probably one of the better ones going around the NBA last season. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. But it's uh, I will, I'll give the, the shorter story, I guess. But long story short, I was uh, working in an oil refinery in Australia um, I was a tradesman over here. I was doing a little bit of blogging on the side, a little bit of writing, um, covering some basketball games in Australia, particularly some national team stuff um, when the Australian team was over here. Um, I would travel to, over to, to America and cover NBA games here and there when I could, uh, writing for a website uh, called The Pick and Roll uh, here in Australia. And then uh, the opportunity came to me that I could move over to America, uh, Milwaukee in particular, uh, given the fact that at the time they did have um, Dullivadova and Thonmaker. So they had a couple of Australians when I did decide to make the move. Um, the only issue with that was that with the visa I was going to get, it was going to be a foreign media visa, which would uh, not allow me to make money from American companies. So basically it was a self-funded trip uh, with me basically quitting my job and taking the plunge and trying to uh, break into the, the sports media or basketball media, I guess. Um, so... Yeah, I ended up covering the Bucks the whole way through the season. I didn't do all the all the trips just because, like I said, it was self funded, yeah. and that was a, that was a hell of a lot of money. I ended up spending doing so, but um, in the process, um, it you know it was a really successful year. Obviously, for the Bucks, it was a really fun year, and um, you know covering Giannis in an MVP year was was really fun, and the Bucks made a great run. So you know it was successful they're still working on some stuff in terms of visa and, and that sort of stuff to see whether i can get back for this season um just basically because i i wouldn't be able to fund another whole nba season on my on my own so so that's basically where we're at now but i moved back to australia at, at the end of the season and i'm um, still doing some basketball stuff still still doing some stuff with obviously the national team and and some stuff for, for bucks.com and, and that sort of stuff but i'm still I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. It's still up in the air. What's what's next? 
uh, obviously we don't know what's gonna gonna happen in the future, mate. But uh, look, I was living vicariously through you for the last <laughs> year or so because you pretty much did what I had always hoped to do, but had no courage to do myself. So I guess that's why I'm on the podcast doing this because it's it's much easier to do talking about the Bulls from abroad. But you literally picked up everything, quit your job, headed over to Milwaukee to cover the Bucks, and you picked a damn good time to do it as well. Like you mentioned, it was uh the perfect season almost for the Bucks with the way it sort of played out. Didn't get the ring, but it was a pretty damn damn great season so yeah look I'm, I'm i'm hopeful that things go well for you even even for even from my perspective because then i can continue living vicariously <laughs> through you but um yeah like i said man much respect for all the uh the sacrifices you made i suppose to get over there and, and chase the dream and yeah at least you've done it i suppose so that's that's cool as but i i guess like i said i, I wanted to get you on here Firstly, because you're an Aussie, and like I said, I, I don't get a chance to talk to, to many Australians talking Bulls, talking basketball, talking NBA. It's often with, with my US friends, which is always good, but it, I'm, I'm appreciating the change. But whilst I've got you on here, and like you said, you cover the Bucks, I cover the Bulls, two division rivals. We're heading in towards the NBA season. It's really not that far now. It's basically a month until preseason start, and the, the Bulls and Bucks will be facing each other in preseason. So I thought we could just do a bit of a bit of a summary about the eastern conference about where we're thinking it potentially is going to shape up heading into the season so obviously i want to talk bulls this is a bulls podcast so that will definitely be on the agenda but given that you talk about the bucks or you cover the bucks and uh, i i wanted to be courteous i suppose and we could start with the bucks and maybe that makes sense because they are probably going to be figuring at the top of the east anyway so let's start talking about the bucks let's talk about eastern conference from the top down we'll, we'll work our way down to the bulls but I mean, I wanted to start with the Bucks because I have some rooting interest in the Bucks too, and I'm, I'm a, I guess I'm assuming they're going to be at the top of the East as well. But for us Bulls fans, we're hoping that we can sort of sneak into the playoffs, whereas the Milwaukee Bucks, they're pretty much figuring to be at the top of the East already. So I'm just interested to hear from you and maybe just your pulse on the fan base in, in general. How do the Bucks fans approaching this season, given that it kind of feels like you're going to walk into a top two seed at this point? Where's the mindset at? Yeah, no, you you touched on it. This is a really interesting sort of time period, I guess, for Bucks fans because even when you think back to last year, uh, I think most people thought that the Bucks were going to make a leap, and a lot of that was based around Jason Kidd. A lot of that was uh, obviously some of the guys they picked up in the off season with Brook Lopez and and Brogdon was obviously going to be healthy and, and a bunch of other guys. But this is the first real season that Bucks fans come into the year thinking well, we don't even have to worry about like where we're going to be. We're going to be a home court team. We're going to uh, make a long run in the playoffs. And before last year, that was the real unknown. So uh, I, th- I think it's interesting. Obviously, you know, things can happen and, and you know, touch wood, injuries and, and good health and all those sorts of things. But uh, I, I think the way it stands, the East is in an interesting position because even as far as last year, I think everyone was sort of looking at the East and saying, well, there's a bunch of teams that are pretty good. And, you know, obviously Toronto was one of those and, and the Bucks people thought were going to be good. The Pacers, the Sixers and the Celtics. Now, uh, I think it's pretty universal that the, there's a clear top two um, right now on paper before a, a ball's been uh, tipped. So the Bucks and the Sixers do look like the better teams. But I think Bucks fans are feeling confident, more confident than they probably have in about 20, 30 years anyway. Yeah, and I mean, as they should. I mean, l- last season... Obviously, the Bucks finished the top top of the top of the East. They were the best regular season team. They've obviously got Giannis, who's 
24, 25-year-old MVP is only going to get better. So it kind of makes sense that there's a path for the Bucks to get better. And I guess simultaneously, the East has probably gotten a little bit weaker too. So I'm assuming your mindset is squarely focused on the Sixers and what they can or can't be. And they've obviously gone through a bit of change themselves. They obviously brought in Al Horford and Josh Richardson lost Jimmy Butler. But um, it, it's it's going to be interesting because it seems like the Bucks, well, the Bucks were a great defense last season, but it just sort of seems, at least on paper, that the Sixers may actually be the best defense in the NBA. And I wonder if them bringing in Horford, well, I guess it achieves two things. It, it achieved getting away Horford from the Celtics and not having him def- defend Joel Embiid, which he had done pretty successfully in the past. But adding Al Horford to the Sixers as well kind of feels like a move to stop Giannis to a degree. At least that's how I'm reading it because not that one man can stop Giannis, but Horford has been pretty good at single coverage defense against Giannis. And I guess when you combine him and jo- Joel Embiid at the back line, it-, it could sort of something replicate something to what the what the Raptors did, I guess, against Giannis as well. So... It- I guess from your vantage point, is, are you focusing squarely on the Sixers and, and the way they're going to be able to defend the Bucks' offense? And is that, I guess, the biggest concern that you have at this point? Yeah, I think so. Um, because I think the point you made was was pretty accurate. I, I think if the Celtics, just to get to the Celtics for a second, if the Celtics had have been able to keep Al Horford, even if they make that Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker swap, I, I think that you're feeling like the Celtics are still a team um, that can really contend to win the East. I, yeah. I think the fact that they take Horford away as well, and he goes to the Sixers, uh, I think is the reason why there's such a clear, um, you know, gap at the top, or what we feel like with the, with the Sixers and the Bucks, and obviously Kawhi Leonard is the other one. But uh, and and as for Giannis, I, I think that that is also going to be you know beneficial for the Sixers because you touched on it the way the Toronto Raptors defended Giannis. As soon as he got the ball in the post at any any point. It was double and then triple teamed, and they just forced the ball out of his hands and made other guys do things. Uh, I think with two big bodies and two really, really smart defenders in Embiid and Horford, this is going to be something that I'm very interested to see how the Bucks attack this during the regular season because uh, we know last year that the Bucks really didn't have a lot of troubles with, with anyone in the regular season. They, I mean, they lost some games, obviously, but they breezed through the regular season, won 60 games. And then I think once they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, they didn't really have a plan B and they hadn't really needed a plan B right to that point. So uh, I think that watching the way that the Bucks, and particularly Giannis, attack uh, those two defensively and the whole Sixers team, I agree. I think on paper they are they are the best defensive team in terms of individual talent. Uh, potentially three all uh, defensive guys in in that starting lineup, so uh, that's going to be pretty formidable. And I think the one thing Giannis said the day after they lost to Toronto when we were at the exit interviews, he said that he's already thinking about what he did wrong and what he should have done when those guys were attacking him. He said that he vowed that he was going to be better. He was going to make the the right pass. He was going to get the ball out of his hands better. He was going to shoot the ball better. So uh, I'm interested to see, particularly from him. Uh, the adjustments he makes because he probably knows what's going to come. Yeah, definitely. And, and in a lot of ways, I mean, again, I always try to tie things back to the Bulls because that's what I know and love. But right. I, that that Buck season that we just sort of saw in a lot of ways reminded me of the 2011 Bulls season. Yeah. I mean, Giannis breaking out in the way he did and becoming MVA, uh, coming the M- MVP rather was a lot similar or very similar to Derek Rose and what he did. The Bucks sort of came out of nowhere after a coaching change and became 
from a 500 team to to the best team in the East, one of the best defensive teams in the East, just rolled through the East to the point where they, they easily got to that 60 wins and it all looked like it was going to go pretty damn well. And it did. I mean, you got to the Eastern Conference Finals, but it sort of started to look a little bit shaky in the playoffs. So I, I had some really interest in the, the, the Bucks because of their stories. It aligns somewhat to the Bulls, but yep. I guess bringing it back to the Sixers, and whilst I've, I guess we've praised their defense and what they potentially could be de- defensively, obviously it's all theoretical at this point. I- I'm kind of the, of the opinion that their team is worse, or maybe not worse, but I-, I don't know if they're appreciably better, and that may not matter that much given the East has probably fallen off, at least at the top end, at a quicker rate. But I look at this Sixers team as one that doesn't really have a compelling wing scoring presence or someone who can be that lead guy in the closing moments down the stretch. They had Jimmy Butler last season. They traded him for him to be that guy. Obviously, now he's in Miami. He was down good for the Sixers in that second round, but he's in Miami now, so it's kind of irrelevant. So in a way, I think they almost needed Jimmy Butler more than they needed Al Horford or definitely more than they needed Tobias Harris. But I mean, this is a Bulls podcast. I'm clearly biased. Uh, biased. I, I'm a massive Butler fan, but... If I'm a Bucks fan, whilst the Sixers' defense is somewhat of a concern to me, I guess their offense and how bad it may be in the clutch, given that they don't have that dominant lead guy, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if Bucks fans should be somewhat buoyant about the fact that even though the Sixers' defense may be damn good over the stretch of a game, in the last sort of five minutes or in those clutch periods, that may not matter that if so long as the Bucks can keep it close, that the Sixers' offense may be such a problematic thing that... I don't know. I think Bucks fans just sort of, sort of be feeling a little bit confident, but uh, I guess how do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I and this is this is really interesting because I actually when people would ask me in in, in Milwaukee there was so much talk leading up to the playoffs last year with uh, what matchup do you want? Do you want the Celtics, the Sixers, or or the Raptors? If in in the playoffs, then there was obviously a fear in Milwaukee about the Celtics because of what happened the year before. Um, the the Raptors were kind of the unknown, but the Sixers were a team that, that Bucks fans, I, I think, just looked at the, the names or the star power and were concerned that the Bucks weren't going to match up well. But I disagreed even last year. I really liked the Bucks matchup with the Sixers because the big thing is that the, the, the one thing that this Bucks defense does under Mike Budenholzer is it protects the paint and it forces perimeter shots, particularly mid-range shots. Now, I think when you look at the Sixers lineup, even last year with Butler, with guys like Simmons and Embiid, Embiid in particular, the Bucks forced him to take uh, over nine three-point attempts per game when, when they played the Bucks last year. And I think that if Embiid is out there shooting uh, nine-plus three-point attempts, there was one game where he shot 13, then I think you've won the matchup, right? Because, yeah, he, he might hit some threes, but if that's where he's doing his damage or that's where he's settling to take those threes, then you're in a good position. So... I still think this coming into this year, and, and again, I completely agree with you, that that's going to be the problem with this Sixers offense because even when you think to last year's playoffs against the Nets, maybe the Sixers don't even get through the first round against the Nets if, if they don't have Jimmy Butler. <laughs> I mean, seriously, he was incredible in that series. Yeah. Against the Raptors, he was the same. So uh, I think now when I look at this starting five, if you're forcing the ball out in the perimeter, which we know is what happens late in games in the playoffs, Tobias Harris is the only guy they have that can get his own shot. And I don't know if I'm feeling confident about that if I'm a Sixers fan. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the caveat to that is is Ben Simmons. And as two Australians, it would be remiss of us not to mention that. And there's been a lot of clips flying around of him <laughs> yeah, working on that jump shot. It still looks a bit weird, but I guess as long as it goes in, that's all that matters. But 
who knows if that'll replicate itself to the NBA season, but I guess that is the potential upside that Simmons comes back being a more dynamic offensive player and maybe can be that, not maybe not the lead option, but can be more than what he was and maybe that margin grows a little bit because of his improved offensive ability. Obviously, it's a wait and see, but assuming it's a similar Simmons, then you're really relying on Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris to create out of pick and roll to be that lead ISO guy down the down the stretch. And we saw what Kawhi did in the playoffs last season, being that alpha scorer in the, in the half court, being that ISO guy. And obviously that was huge, but Jimmy Butler did that to a lesser extent. But guys like Harrison Richardson, they're, they're even, I guess, lesser than Jimmy Butler. So it's going to be an interesting situation. But like I said, I've already sort of alluded to it that I've got some rooting interest for the Bucs. And it's pretty obvious as to why. I mean, Giannis being a Greek, myself having some Greek heritage, it, it obviously makes sense. And I guess Giannis being the guy he is or the character he is, I stand for everything he represents. So I'm kind of biased towards the Bucks again, which is kind of interesting to say, given that Simmons is on the sixes. Um, but having said all that, um, I don't know if I love the Bucks offseason. And I say that because when their moves came through, it, it, to me at least, it kind of felt like they got a bit older, a bit slower and a bit bigger on the bench. But I'm not wedded to that opinion just yet, but I guess obviously I don't cover the team to the degree that you do, but I'm interested to hear your side of things. Maybe you can convince me otherwise, but to me at least it it kind of feels like they got a little bit older, a bit slower, and I, I don't know if that's the right mix at this point. Yeah, so I think first of all, the, the, the first move that everyone is going to judge uh, right through the season is going to be not paying Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I think that, and first of all, if... People didn't know he he was a restricted free agent, so the Bucks could have paid Brogdon whatever they wanted to pay him. It would have meant they went you know deep into the luxury tax, which is obviously not something uh, the Bucks have done for quite a while. So uh, they decided to let him go. Unfortunately, uh, they were able to work out a, a sign and trade with with the Pacers and get some draft picks back, which the Bucks don't have a lot of through a variety of bad contracts they've had to trade and, and a number of number of other moves they've made over the past few seasons. But Brogdon is obviously a big loss. Um, when you think the uh, shooting 50, 40, 90 last year, clearly not something that, that happens a lot. And, and the replacement for him is probably, uh, you know, on paper, it looks like it's going to be Wes Matthews. So when you talk about the Bucks getting older, that's that's very clearly going to be the case if Matthews steps into the starting lineup. Um, the only thing that I will say with Brogdon, and again, this is... Easy to say now, but in the end, it's going to be judged by how the Bucks look on paper, how Wes Matthews plays, how these other younger guys, Sterling Brown, Dante DiVincenzo, can play. But the problem with Brogdon and the reason why the Bucks would not have wanted to pay him that contract was obviously injury history. This guy's this guy's uh, missed forty plus games over the last two seasons. He's already twenty seven, so he's older than you think. Even though he's only been in the league for a few years, having been at college for five years with an injury history as well. Uh, and the other thing is. He doesn't really have a, have a quick release in the jump shot. So he, he shoots 40% from three, but he averages less than three, uh, less than four three-point attempts a game. And the reason for that is because he only takes wide-open threes. Um, so I, I, you know, when you translate to what you expect to see from Brogdon at the paces, for mine, I'm very curious to see whether he can get those shots up and whether he can remain that efficient scorer uh, with, with added attention from the defense. So with the Bucks, with Wes Matthews, He's older. He's clearly not the West Matthews we, we saw in Portland, obviously, uh, six, seven years ago. But he still shoots a really high percentage from catch and shoot and wide open shots. And uh, I think that it's going to be a simple role for him. 
Uh, I think defensively, the Bucks really don't ask a lot from their guys individually. It's a very basic uh, team principle, dropping back into the paint. So, look, I, I think that the Bucks have got older. It's certainly when you talk about them getting bigger, I think Robin Lopez is an interesting signing. But I do believe that some of that was a reaction to the Sixers picking up Al Horford and the Bucks realizing that they were probably that one big body short because outside of Brook Lopez, they didn't really have another big uh, to come off the bench. They were running with either Giannis at the five or, or DJ Wilson. Obviously, Pau Gasol was not playing. He was injured. So uh, I think the moves make sense for the Bucks, but I think that it's going to be one that you're going to have to really see these older guys, Kyle Korver obviously being the other one. Uh, you're going to have to see these guys play before you can really judge it. On paper, I can understand why they made the moves they did, though. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because we we spoke about the Sixers maybe getting bringing in Al Horford not only as a contingency in losing Jimmy Butler, but to maybe have that matchup against Giannis. And and you look, Giannis is probably going to dominate the East for the next five to eight years. You would assume so. It kind of makes sense to for the Sixers to try to foolproof themselves against Giannis as much as someone can actually do that, but. To your point as well, the Bucks have almost countered that because it's, the Sixers have gone top heavy as well. They've brought brought through a, a really big team as well. They're huge all over the park, so yeah. or the court rather. So they're they're massive as well. So yeah, it's it's been interesting to see both of those teams sort of countering each other, and it does sort of feel like those two teams are squarely focused on each other and not necessarily worrying about anyone else. But you mentioned Malcolm Brogdon, and he was obviously the big change that uh, to this Bucks squad, and he's a name that for us Bulls fans that we discussed at length over you know yeah. the, the 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 preceding 3 to 4 months whatever it was to free agency we had a lot of time to think about free agency unfortunately for us Bulls fans <laughs> and we had a lot of discussion about Malcolm Brogdon and I guess my position on it was a lot a lot of things that you just sort of stated I thought he was somewhat overrated I think his injury history is going to be a concern or at least it is a concern and the money it would have taken to to bring him into Chicago was always going to be a bit too uh exhaustive for my for my taste which is I guess kind of ironic because Brogdon heading into the paces uh, opened the door for the Bulls to get Thad Young so it's funny how it all works out but I guess the biggest loss for Brogdon is the fact that he's probably that extra ball handler that the team sort of needed. And I think the Bucks will be able to replace his shooting. Like you've mentioned Wes Matthews and you've mentioned Kyle Korver, but I guess it's that, that second or third live ball handler in that, in, 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 or having him out on the court. I think that's probably where his value is in it. And it kind of feels like it puts even more pressure on Eric Bledsoe, who obviously got extended, but didn't have another good playoff showing. So, a Bucks fan somewhat uneasy on the, I guess, spotlight this puts on Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and you can't uh, you can't have watched the Bucks the last few years and not feel that way. I, I think when the Bucks signed Bledsoe, uh, it was early in March. Um, they were out on a, on a road trip out west, and they're in LA, and they signed him. And I, I think for the most part, everyone looked at the deal and thought, "Wow, seventeen million. This is this is an incredible deal for Bledsoe. Certainly, he could have earned maybe more." If he had a good playoffs, um, I, I always thought at the time that the deal was going to be really judged after the postseason. And I, I think it's probably fair to say, even though he ended up having a, an all uh, defensive first team season, uh, I, I think that if he went on the open market after that playoff run, after the playoff run the season before, I'm not sure that he gets $17 million, uh, particularly at his age. So all of a sudden the deal has some pressure with that. And it's very clear that by the Bucks signing Bledsoe that did put him in a difficult position with with Brogdon I I think they probably still would have gone with Bledsoe because I think 
over the course of a season, Eric Bledsoe, what he can do defensively, there's really not, maybe there's no one that can do what he, he does in terms of getting over the top of screens, his athleticism defensively, the way he played last year. Uh, so he he's going to win the Bucks a lot of games during the regular season. But again, none of that is really going to matter until you see him in the playoffs. And, and he's had a couple of bad seasons in a row. So I think people are uneasy about that. And people are uneasy about losing Brogdon in general because when you talk about Bledsoe struggling in the playoffs, Malcolm Brogdon is clutch. And that's one of his uh, biggest attributes, that he's so calm. He makes the right decisions. He does take good shots. And as you said, he's, he was one of the guys for the Bucks that could really get... Uh, into the into the paint and create a shot uh, at the basket. So George Hill obviously is another guy that's going to be asked uh, a lot of, uh, and he had a terrific uh, playoffs. But he is older, and I think it would be best for the Bucks if if they could sort of keep George Hill's minutes down during the regular season. But maybe they're not going to be afforded uh, that luxury after after losing Brogdon. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the, the top of the East, whilst it seems like it's somewhat set up in place uh, i guess there are some interesting storylines for both the bucks and the Sixers, those of which we cover off a few but it's probably not going to be the cakewalk that i think many assume it is going to be it's it might get uh quite ugly at some times but both teams will be trying to work out obviously who they are throughout the season given the changes that both of the teams have sort of worked out i want to talk come back and talk about the rest of the eastern conference we've talked about the top end but i guess we have to focus on the on the lower end where my chicago bulls find themselves currently but before we do that let's tell the listeners about this week's sponsor a few of us on this show use harry's razors if you visit their website you can check out all the different shave sets and face care products join the 10 million who have tried harry's Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com forward slash blue wire. Why try Harry's? It's pretty simple. Harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. Harry's made quality, durable blades at a fair price at just $2 per blade. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. This summer, refresh your wallet and your face with Harry's trial set. It comes with a weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade for a close shave, and a travel blade cover to keep you razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners on my show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com forward slash bluewire. Make sure you go to harrys.com forward slash bluewire to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. Next up, we've got ShipStation. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. All right, back to the show now. Like I mentioned before, Kane, we talked about the top of the East. Unfortunately, the Bulls aren't there just yet. Who knows how long it's going to take them to get to where the Bucks are, but hopefully not too long. But 
between the Bucks and the Bulls, there's some teams that are sort of lodged in between that. Where I guess we sort of have to reference. We've loosely touched on them, but I don't know about you, but like I said, I feel like this Eastern Conference is pretty wide open after the top two to the point where I'm not convinced about the Celtics. Like the Kyrie for Kemba to me is a wash, but losing Horford's huge. Obviously, the Raptors lost. Kawhi, which is massive, probably the biggest changed out East. And who knows if Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka and Marcus Ola are even making it past the deadline, given all three of them on expiring deals. They they may be traded to other contenders, so who knows what happens there. And I guess thereafter, you've got Brooklyn with Kyrie, who's there with KD, but KD's not necessarily going to play this season. And you've got the typical names, the Detroit Pistons, the Orlando Magic, the Indiana Pacers, who are, have remodeled their entire roster. We talked about Malcolm Brogdon before, but... I guess there's not a lot of other teams out east that offer up much resistance based on, I guess, how we're viewing it now. So, I don't know, from a Bucks vantage point, is there anyone that concerns you from a 3-8 to eight seed that we haven't spoken about? Or even from a Bulls point of view, if there is it that sort of 3-8 to eight, or teams in that 3-8 to eight range, is there a chance a team like the Bulls could... Uh, conveniently sneak their way into the Eastern Conference playoffs. And I'll remind you that this is a Bulls podcast, so uh, <laughs> your uh, response will be uh, proven favorable if you happen to mention the Bulls sneaking no, into the playoffs. I honestly, I, I think that I can see a way that the Bulls do sneak in, and and I, I don't really believe that I'm saying that. I, obviously, I watched the Bulls a fair bit last year, and it was just down uh, the road from Milwaukee, so I was there quite a bit, and I saw some of the worst lineups I've ever seen in my life and I just couldn't believe some of the guys were playing but now when I look at the mix for the Bulls I think it's really interesting Uh, I think you've got a bunch of guys that I have no idea how they fit Uh, I don't know I just think there's a lot of unpredictable players in there that if they they mesh and they they play well then they're going to win a a bunch of games particularly in the east obviously Markinen is the number one guy he's a he's a genuine star and I think if he can stay healthy um, then that's going to be, a, a, you know, that in itself is it could be enough for the Bulls to really win a bunch of a whole bunch of games. I think Otto Porter is is interesting. Zach Levine, I'm not sold on, but he's obviously a talent. Uh, Thad Young, I think, is a big signing. I think it's really good for this team to have a big guy that's a veteran that you know what you're going to get from every single night. And and while Miles Turner got a lot of the credit last year in Indiana defensively, I, I can tell you Thad Young gave Giannis probably the toughest time of anyone uh, all, uh, right through the season last year. I, I'm not sure there was another guy that one-on-one gave Giannis more trouble than Thad Young. So uh, I think that he's a great signing. Uh, Kobe White is interesting. It's always tough when you have a, a, a young point guard that you want to give give the ball to. But I don't know. I just think there's an interesting mix there in Chicago and, and a lot of individual talent that, uh, like I said, I'm not sure how that comes together. I'm not sure what it really means. Uh, I think Sadoransky is another guy that that's a really solid signing. I think he's underrated. Uh, he was underrated with what he was doing in Washington. I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm interested. But if you're asking me if I think there's a way that they could finish in the eighth seed, then, yeah, I think they could do that. I, I could definitely see a way they could do that. And I do not put it in the same basket as Knicks fans who are trying to talk themselves into <laughs> finishing the eighth seed. The Knicks cannot finish in the playoffs. The Bulls certainly can. Uh, I, I think that... One thing I will say, and I'm interested to know what you think about this. I think Boylan is a is a big factor in all this because he reminds me a lot. And when we're talking about Bulls and, and Bucks connections, he reminds me a lot of Scott Skiles in the way that I think this guy has a shelf life. And 
I don't think that he's the type of coach you can have for too long because I think eventually the players are just going to be like, I've had enough of this. Like I, I, I just do not want to listen to this day in, day out. And I think that it was particularly with a young team. It's going to be interesting to see how they respond to Boylan. But it's interesting. I think the Bulls are interesting. To, uh, to answer your Boylan question, I'll, I'll say that uh, uh, the Bulls HQ isn't necessarily a pro-Jim Boylan podcast, <laughs> I'll put it that way, and I completely agree. I mean, whilst I can sit here and whilst a fan base can sort of sit here and say that uh, that the Bulls may, have the, may, may be headed to the playoffs, ultimately it all sits with Jim Boylan and, and what he allows them to be, so it, it's kind of in, in his hands as to as to how good or bad this team will be, he can, he can control it all, so... Um, which is kind of interesting to think about because we often like to think about coaches not necessarily having that much of an influence, which I guess is ironic speaking to you given the, the wholesale changes sure, Bud yeah. made and, and how critical that was in setting up that amazing buck season last season. But if Boylan is a bad to average coach, then I still can think even though he may be responsible for a, a range of outcomes, I think if he lets them play the way they can play and lets them get out and run and maybe adapt to more modern style of basketball than rather than just walking it up and playing the playing as slow as a molasses type offense that they yeah. did last season, then they can be in a, a fun and exciting team because they do have talent. But like we sort of mentioned that that, that Eastern Conference between three to eight, it, it's almost not a, a reflection on how good the Bulls are, but more so a reflection on how bad the East is because. I mean, the Bulls, uh, sorry, the Celtics may be the third team in the East and they could only win like 44, 45 games, something like that, because their defense just might be that bad without Al Horford. So it's an interesting case where it'll probably come down to chemistry and injuries for who sort of sits three through eight in the Eastern Conference. So that's what it's probably going to come down to. Yeah, and, and you you touched on, I think, the big point for the Bulls. Like I said, they've got a bunch of athletes on this team and they need to run and they, they need to play fast place, up-tempo offense. And obviously Boylan continually talked about wanting to teach these guys the right way to play or the, or the principles. Yeah, he needs to forget about that because that's not going to win you games in the NBA these days. They do need to run. They need to get up and down the court and they need to be organized defensively. I think that's where Boylan needs to focus with this team because, like I said, there's a bunch of guys that probably aren't known uh, for their defense. But again, I think that's why... Uh, Thad Young is going to be such a big addition. I think you put him next to Markkinen and you've got you've really got the nucleus of a, of a pretty good defense. Uh, if you can get the I guess the guards organized and 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 playing well together, and then once you get the ball run, and I, I think this team can put up a lot of points. Yeah, definitely. They've got often offensive upside, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays itself out. But whilst you and I have some similarities in the sense that obviously we're both Australian, we're both. Uh, I guess following the NBA from abroad, probably me more so than you, given that you were over there last year. We also happen to be, I guess, covering two teams that reside in the same division. So I'm kind of wondering how how worried about the Chicago Bulls are you of coming for that Milwaukee Bucks uh, Central Division Championship belt? Uh, is that a concern for you at all? <laughs> uh, no, but <laughs> not not this year, not not this season. But you know, uh, I asked that facetiously, I, I I, obviously. I know, I know. I I think it was funny though. I will say that um, clearly the the Bucks hadn't won. Uh, That was their first division title since two thousand one, I think. And it's and division titles are so funny because it's like really, what the hell? You know, what does division title mean? It means nothing. But it was funny last year to see that they clinched the division, and the next day they like had the banner up already at Fiserv, and like they were giving out T shirts. And I, I guess fans were really excited about that. And I never really considered. 
uh, the division title to be something uh, that people care about. But I guess when you haven't won one for a while, it's uh, it means something. Yeah, I guess it can be symbolic, like particularly if it's a good season, even if it doesn't result in a title, it, it can be somewhat symbolic. But I guess the Central Division, in a way, is a bit of a microcosm into the Eastern Conference because there's a path for the Bulls actually being maybe not the second, but maybe the third best team in the Central Division next year. Maybe if everything breaks right, they could be second in the division, which kind of speaks to the weakness of the Eastern Conference. I mean, I'm not... Obviously, we can probably write off the Cavs at this point. The Pistons, I, I think the Bulls can compete with that team. Well, who knows what will happen with the Pacers. Uh, I guess it kind of depends on Victor Oladipo and, and how healthy he can come back to and how quickly he can come back, I suppose. But I guess there is a path for the Bulls to maybe be that second team in the Central, but not that it obviously matters too much. But a more serious question, probably something that makes more sense for this upcoming season, and, and we'll probably see it in preseason, but Giannis is obviously the obvious matchup for me, that I worry most about when, when the Bulls come to play the Bucs. Uh, and when I look at this Bulls roster right now, I don't know if there's a direct matchup that I'm comfortable about. Not that there probably is any defender out there that I'd be probably comfortable taking that responsibility of guarding Giannis. But I guess the guy that makes most sense to me is Thad Young. I, I, Otto Porter is probably a little bit too small and it's probably a better matchup for Chris Middleton. And guys like Markin and who will be playing a power forward against Giannis, I think that could be problematic. And I don't think Wendell Carter is going to be ready just yet, even though I think potentially down the line that may be an interesting matchup for Giannis. But I, my my guess is it's going to be Thad Young. And I didn't watch a heap of Pacers basketball last season, but I'm wondering from you, when the Pacers came to town in Milwaukee, was Thad Young the matchup for Giannis? And if he wasn't, do you sort of agree with my line of thinking where Thad Young may be the best option to guard someone like Giannis? Yeah, it definitely. He was, uh, every time the Bucks played the Pacers, I mean, if you go back and, and look at uh, some of the box scores for those games, some of Giannis's worst games all season were against the Pacers, and that was really because of Thad Young. He, it wasn't Miles Turner that got Giannis, it was Thad Young, and, and he gives, and has for a while, given Giannis some, some real trouble. So while <laughs> it is difficult to say, uh, that that someone can really stop Giannis. I'm not sure that anyone really can, but Thad Young does a, as good a job as anyone in, in the league. And I know there's been a lot of talk about Al, Al Horford and some of these other guys, um, but, but Thad Young in particular uh, has given Giannis some trouble. He's just strong. And I, I think that that's something that Thad has that none of other guys do. He is, able, he is actually able to body up with Giannis and somewhat uh, slow him down. And then I think... The, the thing that the Bulls will be able to do is if Giannis is going uh, to the basket, then Thad Young can be that primary defender in front of him. And then you use someone like Markkinen who, who can block shots to come over the top when he when he gets to the rack. And then you might be able to have some success that way. Um, the trouble is with Giannis is that he's so physical that he, he draws so many fouls. And that's where uh, it, it becomes difficult. You know, if Thad Young picks up a quick foul or two or Markkinen comes over the top and picks up one, then all of a sudden it all falls apart. But uh, I, I think with those two, um, it's a it's a pretty solid base to be able to feel like, you know, maybe you could have some success against Giannis, but certainly Thad Young, he's he's done a great job on Giannis in the past. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's why Brook Lopez is so important to the Bucks' offense because he can maybe draw away draw away exactly. that help yeah. defense, but. Uh, ideally, if he's not on the floor, then maybe you know a Thad Young Wendell Carter combination, where like you sort of said, 
Thad Young could be that primary defender, that initial defense against Giannis, and maybe you can funnel him into that defensive center like Wendell Carter reason, which I'm assuming the Pacers did with Miles Turner. Obviously, he would probably be yeah. on the backside protecting the rim. So that's the way I was thinking about it because, yeah, like I said, obviously Giannis is going to be the uh, the primary concern I have for the Bulls in terms of trying to guard the Bucks. Uh, at least, yeah, like I said, trying. I don't know how successful they will be, but... The the Bucks were fun for me last season as well because they had a few former Bulls on there as well on on the team last season. Yeah. So you had Tony Snell, who I guess was pretty maligned here, and I guess it continues the, that same theme with Nicola Mirotic, even Pau Gasol. Though those three players, I think they're guys that I kind of like, but there's segments of our fan base that probably didn't like those players. So. That said, I, I enjoyed the fact that there was former Bulls representing, I guess, the Bulls on the Bucks deep into the playoffs. But those got three guys are gone, but now you've got a new Bull or a former yeah. Bull coming onto the Bucks, which is Robin Lopez. We mentioned that before. He's joining his brother, uh, Brooke, in the center rotation, which will be interesting in itself. But I'm just wondering, from, from, a, a, from a media point of view and for you covering the team, how much are you looking forward to sort of seeing the shtick play out of, of the Lopez brothers sort of going at each other because they've got, they've got like this ongoing rivalry, I suppose. I guess it's all tongue-in-cheek, tongue but that's been from afar, but it's going to be even more amusing and probably going to go to or reach new heights now that they're going to be on the same team. So how much are you looking forward to covering both the Lopez brothers this season? Oh, yeah, it's going to be absolutely ridiculous. I don't, I don't, I can't really see any way, particularly they split up Bobby and Toby. So I don't think there's going to be a more entertaining duo than, than the Lopez brothers this year. Um, I, I think, I mean, the good, the great thing about the Bucks locker room all last season was that uh, I don't think that, and, you know, speaking to other people around the league who, who would talk about, you know, potentially some tension in the locker room or there was, you know, this frustration here, this frustration there, obviously the Bucks were winning. So, uh, that obviously helps, but that locker room one through fifteen got along. Uh, I, I'm not. I've never seen anything like it. How well they got along, and now you throw in Robin Lopez on top of that. It's going to be a lot of fun, regardless of what happens on the court. I think the the Lopez brothers show is going to be a lot of fun for for everyone. I, I think um, it's yeah. They've been they've been starting right from right from the second they signed him. They've they've been starting sort of with the. Uh, stuff on Twitter and and every time we speak to them they uh they make some comment about each other so it's I think it's going to be entertaining and I, I think it was pretty obvious you know how much Bulls fans enjoyed Robin uh in Chicago for that reason he's he's entertaining they have fun they don't take themselves too seriously and I think that's pretty rare yeah definitely I mean it's it's, it's gonna be hilarious even for us like non-Bucks fans I suppose Rollo was just a great dude. Uh, he was a, he was a fantastic team man. And just bringing it back to on quarter, he was actually quite critical for someone like Larry Markin and, and his development, sort of guarding the rim and cleaning up and boxing out. Fantastic, yeah. re, uh, not maybe not a rebounder himself, but a great box out artist to the point where the Bulls were somewhat of a decent defensive rebounding team. So I'm, I'm kind of concerned about his loss as to what it means for the rim protection and rebounding aspect for the Bulls. But I guess that's going to be the Bucks gain. So. Robin Lopez, I can see he's going to be a, a pretty damn, pretty damn good addition to the Bucks team. I mentioned my concern with the aging aspect and maybe getting a bit bigger and a bit slower, but I think he's a nice counter to what Brook offers as well. So it's going to be fun. But let's move along to, I guess, the Australian portion of this podcast. And, and I, I have got two last questions for you before we move on. And I guess um, it only makes sense for, to throw in some Aussie questions. And whilst last season was pretty much the perfect season for the Bucks. Obviously, it didn't end the way you'd hoped, but 
I guess the one lacking thing that the Bucks didn't have last season was that Australian aspect, I suppose. It's something yeah. that traditionally has been there. I mean, the Bulls have had their stretch of Australians over the years as well, but the Bucks have done that too, obviously Bogut being the the primary one we think about. But even Dally and Thon, there, there was a time where they were on the team. Obviously, that wasn't necessarily the case towards the back end of last season, obviously. But I guess is that the one thing that you're kind of miss, missing being an Australian covering the Bucks at the fact that there isn't that Australian angle anymore. Yeah, I was I was fighting with the with the Bucks for ever since they traded. So Dali got traded in. I think it was early December. It was certainly early in the season when when Dali got traded. And Thon was obviously just before the trade deadline in in February. So uh, and they moved quickly. So in the Bucks practice facility, they've got all the flags up of all the you know the nations that are represented by the players so obviously the greek flag and uh, nigerian for Giannis as well and they had the the, the spanish flag for pagasola miritich and all these guys anyway uh the day after thon got traded we walk in the practice facility and they've already got rid of the australian flag and i was you know i was arguing for them to put the australian flag back up for me but they they were not listening to me but uh but yeah they i it's it was kind of weird it was um it was good being around the locker room and always having someone there uh that would you know, he didn't always have to be talking about basketball or whatever we talk about other things particularly dali we would talk about footy and, and those sorts of things so um yeah, that was that was kind of weird, I guess, when those two left. But the Bucks, fortunately, have a number of people on their staff that are Australian, uh, and, and a couple of a couple of physios that are that are both Australian. And Suki Hobson is the strength and conditioning coach, who is actually English, but she spent some time in Australia with uh, Essendon Football Club and also Geelong Football Club, which is where I live. So there's still some Australians around, but just not not on the court. It's hard to explain to to people from the US as well our, our love for Delhi. I guess they'll never understand it um, <laughs> because he's probably a, a hated figure to a to a yeah. degree. He's a pest over there, I suppose. But to us, he's something completely different. So I guess that's why I, again the box resonated for me. I had the Greek thing going on. I had the Australian thing yeah. going on, and I had all those former Bulls on the squad last season too. But yeah, no Delhi, no Thon, no real Australians there. I guess I got Rollo, but. I've still got Giannis, but it would be remiss of me not to bring up the uh, the resounding win that the Australians had against the the US or Team USA the other week. And I think this is probably the best place to close. We can wrap it up or maybe loop it into some FIBA World Cup talk, uh, which is obviously starting in the coming days. But you were there. I was watching on TV. I actually went to the game where they lost, but I, I wish I was there for this one. But how good was that damn Boomers win over the Team USA? And I just want to take this time to gloat whilst we possibly can because <laughs> who knows if it's going to come in the World Cup. But, uh, but yeah, like I wanted to, to get our thoughts on a podcast about how damn fun that, that win was and how much it meant to us, which people probably won't understand. Yeah, uh, Sunday was uh, well, Sunday was Saturday. Yeah, Saturday was in, was incredible. I, I think, and you you said you were there on Thursday. So yeah, um, the interesting thing about Thursday was so there was over fifty thousand people at, at these games, and I thought Thursday night the atmosphere was not great. Did you feel that as well? No, it was it was really bad. I guess that look the the, the arena wasn't set up to be yeah for sure uh, for a basketball game for starters, but I guess the game wasn't that entertaining as well. But yeah. by the th- you know, during the stretch of the third quarter, we kind of knew where it was headed, but this one was completely different, obviously. Yeah, and I, I think that was the big difference from Thursday to Saturday was that on Saturday, you you knew that there was 50,000 people in there and Australia were um, playing well and they were still in the game right into the fourth quarter and, and it was probably not until 
uh, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter when Paddy Mills started going crazy that I think people thought, oh, well, Australia might actually win this because even myself watching the game, I was like, well, this has been pretty fun, but, you know, USA will probably just pull away, hit some shots and, and win by 10 points and, and that'll be just what happens. But, um, yeah, in the end, uh, I, I think all the all the, the veterans really stood up. Paddy Mills obviously had 30 points, but Andrew Boger was incredible. Joe Ingles passing all night was, was great. Uh, it was all the old fellas, and it was. It was exciting. It was good for Australia and uh, a shock for the USA, I would say. I, they, I mean, they, they sort of said after the game they didn't mean anything. They weren't worried about it, but they hadn't lost since 2006, so it just doesn't happen for them. So it was uh, it was it was a fun day and, and good for Australian basketball, I think. Yeah, it was good for me as well because the last time that the US had lost was to a Greek side, and then, and again right. their, their their loss now was to to the Australian side. So covered all bases for me. Yeah. But I, I don't know if Americans really love the international game like we do. Maybe maybe I'm I'm assuming that incorrectly. Maybe my listeners can um, let me know if I'm being incorrect on that point. But it kind of feels like international basketball means more to those countries outside of the u.s maybe that's reflective on the fact that the u.s don't necessarily send their best team and uh, i guess they can walk into a gold medal typically but i don't know it feels kind of different this this time around and it maybe it'll be different in 2020 when maybe it's a little bit more serious but at least heading into the world cup maybe it's because there's no basketball around and this is i've been kind of yearning for it but it kind of just feels a little bit different now we've got a legitimate chance at a medal and this tournament coming up should be damn fun to watch yeah, well, I think, and this is just a theory, but I think for Americans, they might enjoy watching the game and they'll be like, well, this is a bit of fun, but we're not going to lose and there's no chance we can lose and we're just going to roll through and win a gold medal. I think maybe there's some more interest now or I don't know what the right word is, but I think people are taking more note because they're like, well, hang on a second. Europe is really closing the gap. There's a bunch of good European teams. Australia teams are like pretty good. We could actually lose. And I think if you're watching um, Team USA, maybe there's a bit more interest now because it's it's an actual contest. So um, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's part of the case. But yeah, for, for Australia, certainly for us, I think that they're a chance to win a medal. They've never won a medal before in a major tournament. So... I'm looking forward to to watching these games anyway, that's for sure. Yeah, hell yeah. It's good just to have some sort of basketball back as we lead into the NBA season. But, mate, look, I've kept you long enough. I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking Bucks, talking Bulls, talking Eastern Conference with me. I think it's going to be an interesting... The way the Eastern Conference shapes up should be interesting. And, uh, look, I'm hoping, obviously, that the Bulls can sort of sneak into the playoffs. But at the same time, I'll have my um, rooting interest in the Bucks too. So I appreciate you coming on. But before you get away, maybe you can tell the listeners where to to follow your stuff because you don't just cover the uh, the Bucks. Obviously, you have an NBA slant, obviously an Australian uh, perspective as well. So if there's any Australians, listen to Bulls HQ as well. Tell them where they can follow you, all your stuff throughout the year. Yeah, so you can get me on Twitter. It's just at Kane Pittman. And then uh, my writing is, is always up on the Twitter page. So I do some writing for Pick and Roll and, and ESPN Australia as well. So there's a bunch of stuff. It's not all buck stuff my buck stuff is generally with bucks.com but yeah you, you can get me on twitter and i'm normally on there talking rubbish and and, and having fun so uh yeah you can get me there and of course you're a step on blue wire too for doing, sure. the, doing the box thank pod. you what am i doing i'm like we're doing the blue wire <laughs> pod and i didn't even mention my pod the euro step yeah you can follow me there if you want to hear some more uh bucks talk yeah for sure and i guess one last thing mate uh you're a geelong supporter right yeah well, I mean, you're Collingwood, are you? I am. So we got uh, this. Probably will make no sense to our American listeners as well. But the upcoming week, I guess Geelong sitting on top of the ladder, Collingwood with fourth, 
finals coming up, so it's going to be an interesting time for us. Maybe we'll have some banter online that people will have no idea what we're talking about, but uh, go Pies, I guess I'll end on that note. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me, and I'm glad now that you reminded me of that, that we did this <laughs> podcast today because we might not be talking next Saturday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> depending on what happens. Exactly, but uh, yeah, thanks again, man, for coming on, and uh, maybe we'll do it again during the season. Obviously, the Bucks and Bulls will uh, have have a few games against each other, so maybe we can uh, hit, up, hit each other up back again in the season. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, Bulls fans. So that just about wraps up this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode. As always, follow me on Twitter at MK Hoops. Follow the show at Bulls HQ Pod. If you get a moment, jump onto iTunes. Some five-star reviews are always welcomed. I really do appreciate that. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was it was fun for me, at least, getting a chance to talk to talk Bulls, to talk Bucks, to talk Eastern Conference with another Aussie and go and support Kane. He's, a, he's like he mentioned from the outset, he's a it's a guy doing it off his own bat, paying for everything himself, trying to forge his way into that NBA media landscape. So I definitely respect it. So if nothing else, if you can go give him a follow, give him some support, give him a shout out. I think that's welcome because, uh, yeah, like I said, I respect his story. It's damn awesome and uh, I hope he breaks through. But again, thank you guys for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. We'll be back again next week. We'll be talking mostly balls next week. I can guarantee you that. Maybe some fever stuff. Hopefully Australia have got a few wins on the ball. We'll see how the US team goes as well. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll try to keep my patriotism maybe a little bit more in check next week, but I, I can't guarantee that. But we'll be back again next week. Be on the lookout for it on all the usual spots. But until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.